the synagogue. So that would have brought Jairus into relationship with Jesus in the synagogue setting. So Jairus would have been the one that invited Jesus to teach the first time in the synagogue in Capernaum. That's in Mark 1. And immediately when Jesus taught, people were like they were amazed. We have never, we've never, we've never heard a rabbi teach like this. And then all of a sudden, this guy with his unclean spirit speaks up. And Jesus quiets that spirit in the synagogue, tells the spirit to go away. And the guy, you know, just drops in a heap. And I mean, all of this is happening. And the people are even further, wow. Not, not only is this guy a great teacher, but his teaching has authority. Like he just told that demon to leave and he did. And his, like his teaching works. And I'm just thinking, Jairus is thinking, oh, I bet I'm in trouble. I bet the other seven leaders in the city God are not really happy with me because I invited Jesus to speak. And this, ha- this was a messy moment in the synagogue life of Capernaum. And Jairus was responsible for inviting Jesus there. Jesus did return to the synagogue in Mark 3. He was not invited to teach that time. But it was, there was a setup. The Pharisees and other religious leaders were there to entrap Jesus. They, they sent a guy with a withered hand this time, a guy with a deformity. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Is he going to break God's law? I don't know if Jairus was in on that, but he would have known about that. And Jesus says, hey, come on. You know, what's, come on. Are we we meant to do good on the Sabbath or not? Come on. What what would God, would God not want us like to to set somebody free on the Sabbath or to heal? Come on. What's your, what, what's your religion gotten you into? Then, then beyond that synagogue connection, I mean, Jesus is pretty active in Capernaum. I mean, the streets fill up. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out of people. Uh, Capernaum at the time is only 1,500 people. So if you want, I mean, if you want to contrast that with what's coming, there's going to be 5,000 people fed by Jesus and the disciples on the hilltop above Capernaum. So if you want to just put that in the context, I mean, there is a huge movement going on around Capernaum concerning Jesus and people following him. So Jairus is exposed to all of that. In Mark 5, beginning in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. So now he's moving from the Gentile side back to the Jewish side. A great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then the leader of the synagogue named Jairus came. So now he's not not in the private setting of his home or in the private setting of the synagogue. Now he's coming to a very public place with crowds of people making his way. When he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he begged him repeatedly. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. 
Jairus, I mean, this is a very urgent plea. When Jesus saw, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. That, that is a sign of devotion. And it's not just Jairus recognizing that Jesus has a higher position. It's that he's recognizing there's something divine about Jesus. In that first encounter in the synagogue, he heard that spirit that was being cast out of that man say, you're the Holy One of God. I think that stuck with Jairus. And I think he thought about it. I think he's evaluating based upon his knowledge of the Scripture, what he's seeing happening. When he bows before him, I'm, I think he's in his heart of hearts. He's saying, you are the Holy One of God. And there's no one else I can turn to. And he begs him repeatedly. There's just an urgency. I mean, anybody that has a child, if your child is at the point of death and nobody can help your child, the doctors can't find what's wrong. Not, I mean, what you're going to be urgent. You're going to be, that's the state he's in. We, I think we can relate to that. So he's urgently entreating Jesus, imploring Jesus, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And it's so simple what happens. So Jesus went with him. He didn't ask him questions like, well, who do you think I am? Or... Were you in on the entrapment that happened at your synagogue? No. He just went with him. I mean, Jesus responded to this urgent plea of this dad. He just went with him. We don't have time, so I have to just put this little brief interruption. We interrupt this miracle story so that a different miracle can happen on the way to Jairus' home. We'll talk about that. Miracle next week. But as that miracle is happening, the story with Jairus continues when Jesus was still speaking to the woman in the other miracle. Some people came from the leader's house, from Jairus' home, and they said, A father's worst nightmare. Your daughter is dead. Stab me in the heart. Why, why trouble? Why trouble the teacher any further? There's no, there's no need. Is it, she's done. But Jesus, overhearing what they said, said to Jairus, "Do not fear. Only believe." There's a context for Jesus to say those words. If you rip those words out of context and start throwing them around, they're not going to make any sense. But if you put them in the context of this, I think what Jesus is saying is this. Jairus, do not fear the pronouncement of death. That's a terrifying pronouncement. 
that's like a, there's a finality to someone saying, your daughter is dead. I'm asking you, do not fear that pronouncement. Don't buy into that pronouncement right now. Jairus, trust only me. Don't trust, don't trust what that, what they're saying. Trust me now. Listen. And I really believe that Jesus is saying, hey, when you came to me, you said you believed that if I laid my hands on your daughter, that she would be made well and live. Isn't that what you said? You believed that. I mean, if you'll go back, and I mean, Jairus is making a declaration. You come to my house, you lay your hands on my daughter, she will be made well and live. So he's already believing. You're, you're the Holy One of God. I know you can do this. Come. Just please come. I believe Jesus is saying, just keep believing that. Don't stop believing that in spite of this announcement that's come. Don't, don't buy into that. Believe. Believe what you've already declared. And trust in my power and my nearness to help you. Trust in spite of the worst. Trust in my power, ability, and nearness to help. Now I want to stop there. We're going to go on. But I think that is just like one of those moments for us to stop, to pause And to kind of put ourselves right there. And I'm going to use that for an invitation to the table. Because I do think, like Jairus, we've we've got some petitions. And some of us have been asking God for a long time about certain things. And we've heard other pronouncements that seem to put a death to what we're asking God about. And so we have these fears about, well, maybe God's not listening to me or maybe God's never going to answer that or whatever. It just gets mixed in there. So it comes down to a set of questions that I think this account just brings to us. You know, who do we really believe Jesus is? Who do we believe he is to be? Who do, who do we believe Jesus is? What have we asked Jesus for? And how has our hope in help been interrupted by someone else's immediate need? Well, their prayer just got answered. What about my prayer? So how can we survive the suggestion that it's too late for Jesus to help us? And will our trust in Jesus' power and nearness overcome our fears like it was doing in Jairus' life? Will our trust in Jesus' power and nearness overcome our fears? I want to invite you to this table because this table is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder of both His power and His nearness. So I'd like you to stand with me. And over the next two slides, there's going to be some of the text is going to be bold. When it's bold, I want, you to, I want to invite you to read that with me. When it's not bold, let me just read the next two slides.
together. Here's the table of the Lord. We are gathered to His supper, a foretaste of things eternal. Come when you are fearful. Come when you are doubtful. Come when you are regretful. Come old and young. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said... And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, as you come to the table, there's wine in the pitcher on this side, there's grape juice in the pitcher on this side, there's wine and there's bread. So what I would like you to do is go and, and serve yourself, get a cup and a piece of bread. And then I want to invite you to get in groups of three to five. And when you're in groups of three to five, I want you to partake of the bread and the wine in remembrance of him. And I'd like you to just invite you to have a table talk around these questions that I just mentioned. Who do you believe Jesus to be? What have you asked Jesus to do? How is our hope in help been interrupted by someone else's immediate need? How can we survive the suggestion that it's too late for Jesus to help? Will our trust in Jesus' power and nearness overcome our fears? You can, you can pick out one or two of those questions. You don't have to answer all of them. But together in groups of three and five, as you remember Jesus, eat and drink in a table of conversation together. Okay? Good enough? So, Lord, overlook this table in your name. Amen. I invite you to go to the table. Grape juice over here, wine over here.